And in case you missed it, uh, the big red tractor is the, is the church. And the instruction book would be the Bible. I probably ought to warn you. Uh, you know, I, I've been battling the cold all week. So it's that mixture of, of NyQuil, not NyQuil, DayQuil. I had both of them on my dresser today. I did take the DayQuil and Red Bull and, and, so, and the Holy Spirit. So we'll see what's going to happen today. You know, it's a time where you talk and it just echoes. So, But anyhow, welcome to week four of our seven-week conversation, Identity, the Grove, Who We Are. And as I said last week, this time, the beginning of 2014 and, and this conversation, it's a defining moment for Christ Church at 3210 Prophet Road. It's a new day at Maple Grove. God is doing a new thing. Can you feel it? Do you perceive it? Are you getting pumped up about it? Understand, at the Grove we're not about buildings. We're not about budgets. Uh, we're not about being bigger and better than the church down the block. We're, we're not about programs. We're not about our own personal comfort. We're not about our own wants and desires. Then what are we about? Uh, what is it that will drive us forward in determining our course, following Christ in life-changing community? I mean, come on. I, isn't it awesome to be a part of something that changes lives for the better, something that gives hope to the hopeless, that gives peace to the anxious, that gives courage to the fearful, that gives food to the hungry, belonging to the lonely, meaning to the drifting, freedom to the captive. I mean, isn't it great to be a part of something that, that, that changes marriages for the better, that changes families for the better, that changes homes for the better, that changes communities for the better, that changes lives for the better? Amen? Seriously. That's like, that's like all true. I mean, that's the team we're a part of. You know, that's what it means to, to put points on the board. And remember that the way that, that we ensure that, that this vision, that this vision of following Christ in life-changing community becomes more than just a, a tagline on our website or a, a filler for our bulletin is, is, by, is by you, by me, by Maple Grove, by our leadership, by all of us embracing, living out, owning, and fulfilling our mission, which is, like Jesus, we, what? We seek the lost, we make disciples, and we show compassion. And last week, we began unveiling the Grove's core values, five convictions, five non-negotiables, five anchor points that, that will guide and move us forward. Anyone remember what the, uh, what, what the Grove's number one core value is? Anybody remember what it is? We what? We honor, we honor biblical authority. And quick review, what does it mean to, to honor biblical authority? It, 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 means to, it means to make the Bible and nothing else, the highest authority in our lives and in this church. It, it, it means that whenever we, 
Whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it means that we are what? We are, we're wrong. Remember that there are two views of the Bible. One view is that, is that we are what? We are, we're over the Bible. You know, if, if we can ignore it, we can change it, we can revise it, we can do anything we can with it because we are over it. The, the other view is for us to be under the Bible, under its authority. And listen, when you and I live under the authority of God's word, it, it, it brings power, it brings protection, it brings blessings. But when we choose to not live under the authority of God's word, it is very costly and often has negative consequences. And, and what can we, how will, how will living under the authority of God's word, how, how will it affect us? How, how will it affect you? How will it affect me? Well, it will take us on a journey to places that we have never been, uh, to truths that we have never embraced, a journey that will require three things from us, right? Courage, submission, and what? And humility. And this week, we're going to roll out core value number four. Number four. Yeah, I skipped two weeks. What did I tell you, right? Huh? Was I lying to you? Was I lying? I wasn't lying to you. All right, core value number two, which is we depend on God. Let that sink in for a moment. We depend on God. We, that would be us. We depend. That is, we rely upon, we place our trust in, we lean and count on God. Uh, understand, in this core value, our, our, our second core value, we are declaring that, that an anchor point, that a non-negotiable, for us as we move forward from this moment is that as a body, as a, as a team, if you will, of Jesus followers, we're declaring that we, we are not relying upon, we are not trusting in, we are not leaning and counting on our own talent and ability, our own plans and strategies, our own intellect and strength, or our own resources and reasonability. But instead, we are depending on God. The number two core value at Maple Grove is we depend on God. Question, what does that even look like? I, I, I mean, what would the Grove look like? What would her leadership look like? What would my life look like? What would your life look like if our full and ultimate dependence was on God? I, I, I mean, if, if your life, if your, if your dependence was fully and ultimately on God, do you think your life would look different? If your dependence was fully and ultimately on God, do you think your life would feel different? Do you think Maple Grove would look and feel different if our full and ultimate dependence 
was on God? Do you think we would do different things? Do you think we would go to new places? Do you think we would take on bigger challenges? Do you think that we would, would respond to crises and challenges and opportunities differently if we were depending not on our own talent, not on our own ability, not on our own plans, strategies, intellect, strength, resources, and reasonings, but instead we were depending on God. Where we're not trying to, you know, here's a picture. I think we got that picture, right? You know, we're saying, I mean, how, how, how much field do you think we could plow? If instead of depending on our own strength and ability to push and pull uh, that tractor along, we said, hey, you know what? We're going to depend on God's power to move it along. After all, Jesus did say, I will what? I will build my church. Core value number one at the Grove is we honor biblical authority. Core value number two is we depend on God. And this morning, as we begin unpacking core value number two, and, and I intentionally use the word as we begin unpacking, uh, because as with everything else we have or will talk about in this series, uh, identity, the growth, who we are, it really is just the beginning of the conversation. Uh, a conversation that has to keep going, right? Has to be ongoing. You know, uh, the, the growth's mission statement, uh, vision statement, core values, what do they actually mean and how do I actually live them out? In my daily life, how, how does Maple Grove live them out such that when the king returns, he'll find us ready for him? We've got to keep asking those questions. And again, you know, I, you know, I, I really, <laughs> when I say really struggle putting this conversation together, I'm, I mean really struggle. Mainly because, you know, I've been fighting a knock me on my butt cold since Tuesday night. I mean, it, it's been hard to to get my thoughts together. and In fact, most of my brain cells seem to be running rogue all week, and if I ever got two brain cells to cooperate with each other, it, it was pretty much a miracle. And then, and then James Samario shared with me yesterday, Steve, your brain cells never work together. You know, I was like, well, thanks for the encouragement, my brother. And, and so, so all week long, I'm, I'm circling my plane around a bunch of thoughts, and no, nothing's you know, I, nothing's really coming together. And finally, on Friday morning, I say, it's time, to, it's time to land the plane. Sunday's two days away. It's time to throw some thoughts on paper and then simply depend on God Amen. for the rest. So here's what we're going to do this morning as we begin talking about core value number two. We depend on God. We're going to, we're going to look at a, a few snapshots from Scripture. We're going to read a few passages. Uh, we're going to answer a few questions. And, and, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up with a few statements, and then hopefully we're going to walk out those doors more willing, more ready, and more excited about depending on God than we ever have before. Get it? All right. I think we need to pray. What do you all think? Think that would be a good thing? I think so. Let's pray. God, we love you. And you are our refuge. You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. And you are a river 
Your presence is a river that when it flows in our lives, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we come against, we are made glad. And God, we want to depend on you. God, God, we're tired of pushing and pulling the tractor of our lives, the tractor of your church on our own strength, you know, and plowing a couple feet, Lord. And God, I, I pray that you'll open up our hearts right now in ways that they've never been opened before. And God, I pray that you enable me to speak for you in a way I've never spoken before. God, we need you. Every hour, every minute, every moment we need you. <laughs> and you're there because you are an ever-present help, an ever-present God. Amen. The first snapshot is in Exodus chapter 3. As Exodus chapter 3 opens up, Moses is 80 years old. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. That's right. 14,000 plus days, 14,000 plus days of desert heat, desert sand, and staring at a bunch of sheep butts, right? And listen, every day for Moses was pretty much like the last day. And, and I imagine for Moses, he's just counting the days to the final chapter of his life. And, and understand, Moses had no idea when he woke up that morning that, that things were about to change. He had no idea that he was about to be invited into God's plan of the deliverance. He had no idea that when the sun set that day, nothing would ever be the same again. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian, and he fed the flock, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, that's crazy. I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, so if he didn't go over look, he wouldn't even got that be the end of the story. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you catch all the first-person pronouns that God is using? I have seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, I'm coming down, I'm going to do something about it. You see, God's mind is set. His plan is in motion. Failure was not an option. Nothing would stop or stand in his way of delivering his people. They would be delivered. Mark it down. It's going to happen. The redemption mission would go on just as God scheduled it. And Moses is thinking, yeah, awesome. Thanks, God, for intervening. It's going to be incredible to see your people set free. I mean, Moses is excited, but his enthusiasm kind of gets dialed down a notch or two when God lets him know that he has a role in this thing. So now Moses, go. 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses says to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And and I think what's going on in Moses' mind are the same kind of thoughts that race through our minds whenever God calls us to do something that seems beyond our ability. God, are you serious? Am I being punked? Is this a joke? (laughs) Have you mistaken me for someone else? You don't really think I can pull this off, do you? And God's like, no, I don't. (laughs) I understand, God was not relying on, God was not trusting in, God was not depending on Moses' strength and ability to break the bonds of his people. No, understand, God, as he always does, God was going to do all the heavy lifting. But he just needed a guy. He just needed a man. He just needed someone to trust him and speak truth to God's people about where they needed to go. And so Moses is freaking out, and and you're going to notice that God doesn't respond to Moses' self-doubt with a pep talk. And he doesn't enroll Moses in the center of you-can-do-it theology, an effort to boost his self-esteem. Instead, God answers Moses, Moses' who am I question. Have you ever asked that question? God, who am I to do that? Who am I to respond this way to what's going on in my life? God answers Moses' question with five life-shifting words. I will be with you. I understand God is saying to Moses, Moses, don't worry about who you are. Just focus on the reality of who I am and that I am going with you. Moses, if I am going with you and I am, I'm an ever-present God, then everything is going to be just fine. Pretty much the same thing that God said to uh, Moses' protege, Joshua, right? As he's terrified to go into the promised land uh, to fight a, a, a very powerful army. And, and what does God say to him? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Have you ever been afraid or discouraged? I have. Joshua, mighty Joshua had. And here's what God would say. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Why? It's a pretty tough world out there. These are pretty tough circumstances I'm facing. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Understand, God's presence in our life is the ultimate game changer. Get it? And so Moses left the desert. Now, the next snapshot is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. David. In the valley of Eli, two armies are encamped on opposing hillsides with a valley between them. And the diplomacy is over, the negotiations have failed, and the two armies are about to engage in battle, Braveheart style, right? I mean, where a signal's given, they just charge at each other, swinging swords, and, and whoever's left standing at the end is the guys who win, right? But this time, before the signal's given the charge, something happens, and a deal is struck that says, let's send out one of our best guys 
Let them fight to the death, and whoever wins is the other nation will surrender to them. The only problem was that the guy chosen by the Philistine was a 10-foot giant named Goliath. And this guy was a beast. I, I, I mean, the head of a spear weighed 15 pounds. You know, uh, you know the armor, the, the mail he wore weighed 120 pounds. This guy's a beast. No one wanted to fight him. And so for 40 days, Goliath stood in the valley taunting the entire Israelite army. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, it ain't going to happen, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. Then on day 41, a 17-year-old guy named David shows up. He can't believe what's going on. He, he cannot believe that this Goliath is, is allowed to taunt and defy God, and David decides to do something about it. it, it so he, he takes his sling, he, he grabs five smooth stones from a stream nearby, just in case, but he figured he probably needed one, but five just in case. And, and, and he steps into the valley. He hears the taunts of Goliath. And, and all the talking heads, I was thinking today, you know, I, I love football, and everybody's saying, well, who, well, who do you think is going to win this game, right? Well, I'll I tell you what, you know, the line right now is 2.5 in favor of the, uh, of the Broncos. And, well, I can imagine these talking heads, Terry Bradshaw, you know, uh, um, these guys talking about, hey, who do you think is going to win? We got Goliath. Well, I'll tell you what, if David's going to win this game, he's going <laughs> to, no, he didn't have a chance. So he goes in the valley, David said to the Philistine, I love this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. You have defiled. In other words, hey, Goliath, you know what? I'm not depending on a sword. I'm not depending uh, on a javelin. I, 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 I'm not depending on a spear. I, I'm coming at you, and I'm dependent on God. This day the Lord will deliver you to, into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Come on. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know there's a God. Not that David is great. The whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword, it's not by the spirit the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give me to your hands. Whoa. And we know the rest of the story. Man, some people make some serious money in Vegas on that one. And check out this snapshot from 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. The Assyrian army, which has just recently destroyed the northern kingdom, has marched and surrounded Jerusalem with an army of 186,000 plus. And with this army camped around the city, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends his chief commander with the message for the people and the king of Jerusalem, basically telling them, hey, your only hope is to surrender. I, I don't know what you guys are dependent on, but I hope you're not depending on Egypt. They're not very trustworthy, and I hope you're not depending on any other nation, and I hope you're not even depending on this so-called God that Hezekiah tells you to trust in, here's what he says. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he's misleading you. 
when he says the Lord will deliver us? Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? When Hezekiah gets this letter, he immediately goes to the temple and he takes that letter, opens it up before God, and begins to pray. Man, what an image. What a leader. I love it. You see, Hezekiah's first reaction to something that was so much bigger than him was not to call for an emergency meeting to plan the next strategy, but to rely upon, to trust in, to lean in, to count on God. And here's what this king prayed. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You will make the heavens and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. You hear what he's saying about you, God? He's saying you're not going to do what you said you're going to do. He said you're not big enough to protect us from him. It is true, Lord, the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kings of the Lord may know that you alone, Lord, are God. What a powerful prayer. And hey, check this out, check this out. We pray to the very same God. You know, I'm afraid that sometimes we we think, uh, we forget that. And we think that somehow, you know, uh, the great Old Testament guys, you know, Elijah, David, and Moses, Hezekiah, that somehow they, they were in a better position than us to cry out to God. But let me tell you, if anyone's in a better or more privileged position to cry out to God, it's not them, it's who? It's us. We pray that the same God. And did God answer Hezekiah's prayer? Oh, man, did he? In a huge, powerful, and supernatural way. Understand, that very night after Hezekiah prayed, while God's people were nestled all snug in their beds, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 186,000 Assyrian soldiers. And we read, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and what? Stayed there. Yeah, I bet he did. I'm getting out of here. I'm never going back. Just one more snapshot. Man, I wish I could show you about 147 more. Make that 153 more. Seriously. I love this. This one's from Acts chapter 4 of the early church. And Acts chapter 4 is such an incredible picture of the church of that big red tractor. I love it. You know, Peter and John have just been released from prison. And before the release, they're told, hey, you know what? You know, you know we're the guys that killed Jesus, right? And we're pretty powerful, and we want you to stop talking about this guy, Jesus. And they said what? Sorry, can't do it. So they threatened them some more. And then we read this. After Peter and John left the meeting of the leaders, they went to their own group and told them everything the leading priests and elders had said to them. Imagine that happening, right? Right now. You know, uh, we know that, that Bill and, and Gary and Don were arrested. 
as leaders of the church and beaten and threatened, and they come back and they tell us, guys, they arrested us, they threw us in jail, and they let us go, but they said, we got to stop talking about Jesus or it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. They may even kill us, okay? What will we pray? What would our prayers be? Check out what their prayers were. When the believers heard this, they prayed to God together, Lord, you're the one who made the sky, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. God, you're God and you're big. By the Holy Spirit, through our father David, your servant, you said, why are the nations so angry? Why are the people making useless plans? Any plan against God is useless. Kings of the earth prepare to fight, and their leaders make plans together against the Lord and his Christ. These things really happened when Herod, Pontius Paul, and some Jews and non-Jews all came together against Jesus here in Jerusalem. Jesus is your holy servant, the one you made to be the Christ. These people made your plan happen because of your power and your will. You're in control. And now, Lord, listen to their threats. Lord, help us, your servants, to speak your word without fear. Show us your power to heal. Give proofs and make miracles happen by the power of Jesus, your holy servant. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I was in that office when we had that earthquake. I thought, did a plane hit or did the steeple roll off? It was shaken. I like to be in a prayer meeting and have God just shake it. Say, oh, they get it. They get it. They get it. They get it. Four snapshots of depending on God. Now a few scriptures. Psalm 27 and 8. Some trust in chariots, others in horses. What are you trusting in? Your talent, your ability, your 401k, your degrees. What are we trusting in? But we trust the Lord our God. They are overwhelmed and defeated, but we march forward and win. I like that verse. Next verse. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? The book of Isaiah is just God crying out to his people through the prophet, trust me. Quit trusting all this other junk and all these other nations. Would you just trust me? Would you just believe in me? Would you just depend on me? What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help trusting in their horses and chariots and charioteers and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Zechariah 4, 6, and 7. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He was a dude that had the job of rebuilding the temple in an economy that took a serious downturn with limited building supplies and limited resources. This word of the Lord says, Rubble, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become level ground. Then it'll bring out the capstone, the shouts of God bless it. God bless it. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. This is Paul. We are crushed and overwhelmed. Never been there. Beyond our ability to endure and thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. I'll tell you what, if someone can raise the dead, that's some, that's some serious street credits right there, isn't it? 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul writes to Timothy, his very last letter, some of his last words before he would die at the edge of a Roman axe. I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Amen. Now a few questions. Why should we depend on God? I, I can think of, I can think of uh, three really good reasons. But before I even go there, I, I, think it's, I think it's really important to get something on the table. God wants us to trust him. God wants you to trust him. I mean, that's why those seven words are the Lord's Prayer, right? A a cry of daily dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. And and remember what Jesus said to his guys in John chapter 14. Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Also trust in me. It's crazy. Think about it. The sovereign king of the universe wants me, and he wants you to trust him. He says, rely on me. Trust me. Depend on me. You can count on me. And I love what God says to his prophet Jeremiah about trusting him in Jeremiah chapter 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Not very good. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence, that have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They're like trees. They're they're not shrubs in a barren wilderness. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees, they're not bothered by the heat. They're not worried by long months of drought. They're not worrying. They're not fretting. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. God wants you to trust him. Now, what are some reasons why? Three reasons. Rather quickly, maybe. Probably, sort of. I'm counting on mercy because of the cold. Number one, because God is crazy big. I understand. Our God is not just big. Our God is crazy big. I love Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah the prophet, he talks about the greatness of God. You know what he says? He he, he says that God holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. I Google, how much water is on the earth (laughs) this week? And if you can believe the internet, you can go check me out with your own measurements. 326 million trillion gallons. Right? 326 million trillion gallons, and God just holds them right here. 
He's so big that with his hands he measured out all the heavens. He's so big, he's so crazy big that all of the earth is just mere like dust on his scales or on his boots. He's so big that he created every star in the heavens and knows their name. Knows their names. Isaiah says, "Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these?" He's crazy big. I made a pancake last night. And actually, this is the Milky Way. The Milky Way galaxy that God created is shaped like a pancake. It's got a, a bulge in the middle. I couldn't figure out how to make that happen. So, But, but you, you, this is our galaxy. And, and, and do you know how... How big it is across, it's 100,000 light years across. 100,000. And what is a light year? Well, it's the distance, that light that travels 186,000 miles per second. That's like really, really fast. Travels in a year. And that's so light travels 6 trillion miles in a year. And our galaxy is 100,000 light years and God simply spoke it into existence you know this pancake seems rather small next to me you know God literally and even more could take our galaxy yeah you know I I mean if I even try to you know, our, our entire solar system, you go from the sun to Pluto, is only 7 billion miles. I mean, I couldn't even, we couldn't even put a, a dot here. Wouldn't, wouldn't even be our solar system. Wouldn't be our planet. And our, our God is like so crazy big that he created something this big, but not just one galaxy. We know that he created billions of galaxies. Well, why should we depend on God? Because God is crazy big. And if God is this big, then there's nothing he can't handle. If you know, I mean, Isaiah 40, you know how it ends. He talks about God being crazy big, and that, and then that, that chapter ends with these words. Those who trust in the Lord and this crazy big God renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They walk and do not grow weary. They run and do not grow faint. Number two, we should... Trust in God because he is mind-blowingly good. I don't know if that's a word, but it should be. The psalmist writes, examine and see how good the Lord is. Happy is a person who trusts in him. Happy is a person who depends on him. I love it. The psalmist says, hey, you know what? Check it out. Examine it. Check it out. See if he's good. Let's just take a moment to do that, real quick moment. I understand God did not have to make his creation so incredible. He didn't have to make sunrises so breathtaking. He didn't have to make snow so white. He didn't have to make ocean waves caressing a beach so relaxing. He didn't have to make mountains so majestic. He didn't have to make fruit taste so good, especially pink lady apples, right? You know, he, 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 he didn't have to make his throne room so accessible. He, he, he didn't have to forgive our sins. He didn't have to love us when we're unlovely. 
He didn't have to chase after us when we were running from him. He didn't have to send his son to die for us, but he did because he is mind-blowingly good. Amen? We should trust in God because he's crazy big, he's mind-blowingly good, and he's absolutely trustworthy. Psalm 89, 8, the Lord, the Lord God, all-powerful, who is like you? Lord, you're powerful, and what does he say? Completely trustworthy. I love what Paul wrote to Timothy. So that, again, that last letter he wrote. If we are unfaithful, he remains what? Faithful. Why? He cannot deny who he is. He's a God that's 100% completely trustworthy. I mean, aren't you glad that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon your faithfulness? God says, I can't deny who I am. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. I'll keep my word. I'm trustworthy. I can't deny who I am, and I'm a trustworthy God. Question, if our God is is crazy big, if our God is mind-blowingly good, if if our God is absolutely trustworthy, then why do we struggle so much with trusting him? A few reasons, I think. The American culture, and, and don't be deceived, we're affected by the culture we live in. In our culture, dependence equals weakness, and independence equals strength. I think another reason is we don't really know him. All right, you can't trust someone you don't know. And I think a third reason is like that, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, we have not proved him or and or. We haven't tried him, we haven't stepped in the water and watched him answer. I think a fourth reason is people we have depended on in our life have let us down. And so we've kind of conditioned ourselves to not get our hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Yeah, hey, I know the job's going well. Don't get your hopes up. I know things are going good. Don't get your hopes up. But I'm I'm here today. I I stand on the authority of the Word of God and the person of God that when it comes to God, Maple Grove, I want you and I to get our hopes up, to take them up higher and higher because He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Our hopes can never be high enough to match His trustworthiness. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And how do we depend on God? We got to keep fleshing this out. I think one reason, one way is prayer, right? Hitting our knees often, crying out to God. God, God, I need you every hour, every moment. To like, like Hezekiah in the early church, to have our first reaction to opportunities and challenges and crisis to be to hit our knees. God, you create everything. God, you're powerful. You, God, you, you know what we're facing. You know what's up against us. God, move with power. God, you, you Milky Way, pancake-holding, crazy big God, do some crazy big things because that's who you are. How do you depend on God? By following his word. Yeah, by, by, you know, by reading it, by by believing it, by believing that as we read it, it really is at work in our lives, doing something. Third, by walking and leaning on the Spirit. And I think we all need to grow in this, right? Don't we? 
I mean, as Jesus followers, we have the Spirit of God living in us. That's like a really big deal. We need to lean on him more. We need to lean on the Spirit more, trust in his presence more. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Therefore, like David, we can, we can step into the valley even though the odds are against us. And, 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 and like Moses, we can say, you know what? Because God's Spirit is in me, I'm not going to let myself doubt. I'm not going to let my fears, I'm not going to let my insecurity keep me in the desert. No, I'm leaving the desert and going to where God wants me because God's Spirit lives in me, lives in us. Prayer and the Bible and the Spirit, that's, man, we just got to keep, what does that mean in our lives? Next question is, will we depend on God? Will we? Individual church, I mean, will we? Are, are, are we going to individually? Are, are, I mean, when you and I hit the ground Monday morning, is it going to be business as usual? I got to push this sucker and pull this sucker by my own strength, talent, and ability. A lot of stuff is up against me, and God's going to like, Okay, you like, like this is the Milky Way and you're having some issues and you don't, I like, I like said let there be there was and you don't think I'm big enough to help you? Steve, you don't think I'm big enough to lean on? I mean, is it going to be business as usual? And for us as a church, right? Yeah, it's one thing to say this at core value, but is it going to be, it's tiring, isn't it? I don't know about you. you know, I, I've, done, I, I've done too much as a pastor pushing and pulling the big red tractor. When there's this great power, right? Paul said, I pray your eyes be open so you understand the incomparably great power for us who believe. It's the same power that, that rose Christ from the dead, and I'm up there pushing and pulling on that sucker. So will we? We'll find out, won't we? We'll find out, I, I think we will. And here's some closing statements. Get another drink of water here. Isn't it nuts that God wants us to depend on him? Like a dad to his kids. Man, come on. Come on, you don't have to go through that by yourself. Man, I love you. I care about you. I can help you. You know how much that must hurt him? Moms and dads, doesn't it hurt you when you can help your child and they're struggling and they're hurting and, and they won't come to you for help? And, and there's nothing you can do about it. It just breaks your heart. God looks at us and says, man, I just want to help you. And guess what, parents? We are imperfect. <laughs> we are not completely trustworthy, are we? Sometimes we're pretty screwed up. God's not. And God says, man, just can we do this together? Here's the statements. Um, first statement is God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. I, I think that's one of the things that, that hallows God's name on this earth. When the people of this earth see a people fully living dependent on God. I think God's name is hallowed. Look at those people. They're just depending on God. You know, and God is most glorified when I'm dependent on him. Statement number two, we cannot and we will not 
accomplish God's mission without his power. But we just won't. Church, we won't. We won't. You know, leadership, staff in Maple Grove, we just won't. We just won't. You know, Zerubbabel, right? And the guy rebuilding the temple after they came back from exile. You know, you know he's freaking out. Wow, this is hard. You know, our, our, our leadership meetings are going to 12 o'clock at night. We can't figure this thing out. We don't know what we're going to do. You know, do I need to take a class somewhere? You know, do I need to read another book? Not saying those things are bad. But God says to rubble, hey, dude, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Zerubbabel, when you're living that way, what is that mountain? What is that obstacle? Before you, that obstacle becomes level ground. It becomes level ground. You know, every, every week, I didn't think of it till early this morning, Every week we close with a verse. And, and, you know, and I grew up in a church tradition where you kind of stood up and said things and sat down and said things and you don't even know you did them. You know, it's just kind of robotic. And, you know, and I think sometimes that, I don't want that robotic. Sometimes it can be. But we say that every week, right? It, you know, that this God we serve, that, that he is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ask for, anything we could imagine according to what? Our power, our strength. No, according to his power that is at work within us. And like David and Hezekiah, you know, not to David be the glory when he slew Goliath, but to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And here's the final statement. And we're going to skip that verse. Sorry. That was a good verse. I said more than I was planning on some things. When we really depend on God in our own lives and as a church, we will see and experience things that are what? Unexplainable. Apart from him. How do you explain going to bed one night and waking up and all your enemies gone? How do you explain a 17-year-old with a stone taking out a mighty warrior? How do you explain a church with nothing, no resources, standing up against the powerful forces of the day and overcoming them? How do you explain an 80-year-old guy thinking his life was over, go back and freeing God's people. It is unexplainable apart from God. Our God is crazy big. Our God is mind-blowingly good. And our God is absolutely trustworthy. And he wants you and he wants me. You know, and, and if, you know, if I get up here and preach a sermon and walk out and don't trust him more, then I just wasted my time. Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, hold for grace to trust and depend on more. Would you stand? God, we love you. God, we need you. And God, we want to depend on you.
You're great and you're mighty. And you're our God. You're the Lord our God. Amen.